Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, an attorney and accountant walking to a bar. I'm John. I'm the attorney and my buddy here. I'm Kent, and I'm the accountant. All right, Kent, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, I think it's something called the CTA, CIA, something about investigatory uh, transparency. Yeah, kind of a weird thing. Corporate Transparency Act. Nice. Let's get into it. Let's do it. stumbled upon and probably not everyone knows a lot about because so far everyone I brought it up to has no idea about that. There is something called the Corporate Transparency Act and part of it was a anti-money laundering scheme that requires everyone to report information about their company to FinCEN. FinCEN is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. I bet you heard of that. It, I have heard of FinCEN. For tax purposes, I use it a lot to report people's foreign asset holdings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we get to tell FinCEN everything about our company if you fit into certain categories, which I'm going to bet most companies do. Unless you're a bigger company, you might not be able, you know, might not have to do it, but... And if you, you know, are like a publicly traded company or you have certain exemptions, you might have to do it. But this is going to apply to a lot of people, especially small businesses and especially a lot of the clients that you and I work with where we've got single asset holdings and single real estate investments and things along those lines. So let me ask something. When, when did this come about? Is this something new? It's new and old. So the act itself was passed in 2021. And it was part of the uh, the uh, Corporate Transparency Act, as we said before, the CTA. And but it really didn't take effect until FinCEN promulgated regulations to make it effective. So you know, Congress did this typical role, which is, yeah, we want you to do this sort of thing, and uh, you need to make some regulations. And when you get around to making the regulations, then we'll make it effective. So the the, the bomb that's coming at us that you know most people don't understand is that as of January 1st, 2024, which is right around the corner, uh, this is going to become effective. And it's immediately going to impact new filings. But pretty much any company that comes within its parameters is going so to you're have talking, to comply. So you're talking any ma and pa business. So old corner store got a sole proprietorship? Yeah. Well, let's or, get into it. Let's get into it. So any, so it defines who has to report as a reporting company. Reporting company. Got it. Well, what's a reporting company? Well, turns out pretty much everybody. So a reporting company is a corporation or an LLC. Oh, well, that's not too bad. And anything that's like a corporation or an LLC. So we're talking partnerships. Right. Right. We're partnerships, talking- limited partnerships, uh, Real estate limited partnerships, um, real estate investment trusts, anything that functions like a corporation or an LLC. And what's really beautiful about this legislation and the rules is if you look at any of the categories we're going to talk about, there's always a catch-all provision. So they'll give you all these rules and you think, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, corporation, LLC, limited partnership. Okay, okay. And then anything like it, anything that looks like it, anything that feels like it, anything that does what it does. It's like these, these, all these little catch-alls in there. So 
Well, you know, if I if I break it down by what the IRS already knows, uh, so in the context of tax preparation, if you're in a partnership, um, anyone that's in a partnership uh, or a sole proprietorship, it's a re- you have your social security number, your address, and the names of everyone that's in that partnership. There's no really to obfuscate um, that in specifically in a partnership structure. The only way to do that is if you tear down. It's really the entity types, like an S-corp or an LLC very specifically, and then now I'm pointed at very specific states that allow a lot of anonymity, like Wyoming or Nevada, or in some cases, Delaware, where there's not intentional obfuscation, but the intention is for secrecy, right? For privacy, really. And I think the aim is really, uh, the thrust of it is at that, is that right? Yes and no. A lot of it has to do with getting at those sort of anonymous states, but that's really done earlier in the legislation. It doesn't have to do specifically with this reporting requirement Um, because part of the Corporate Transparency Act and other provisions that don't have to do with the specific thing that we're talking about today say that things like bearer certificates, which is how you used to be able to hide yourself Mm -hmm. with a Nevada or a Wyoming company, was that that I could I could create a company and I could issue Kent here a bearer certificate and then he could give it to you know John Doe down the line and nobody even the corporation knows that John Doe's the actual owner of the corporation because the corporation doesn't even have a record of it right yeah so that was all outlawed already got it so harking so, back from the gold rush days right like bearer bonds was a thing right. Uh, So there are certain jurisdictions that used to allow bearer stock certificates Mm -hmm. or, you know, which meant they could be transferred with an endorsement. I mean, you just had to sign a piece of paper, hand it to somebody, and then nobody knew who really owned it until the person with the stock certificate showed up and said, hey, it's me. And I want my, you know, I want my dividend or I want my piece. So that was already outlawed. What this is interesting, though, is you're right. Most of this information is probably somewhere in a tax return, but tax returns are privileged. Ah, that's tax true. Tax returns can't be used by law enforcement. I mean, look at the whole Trump situation, right? Yeah. He was able to, and to some extent still, is able to not release information that's in his tax returns because they're kind of sacred. There's a, there's a privilege that's in the law that says, you know, information tax returns can't be used against you. And the, the idea behind that, of course, is that we want people to freely report the truth for purposes of gathering revenue and not try and conceal things in their tax returns because they fear prosecution. So you're, you're kind of getting, you know, a little bit down the line, but to, to bounce around a little bit, what can this information be used for? Well, the answer is any federal law enforcement purpose, any federal, um, national security purpose, it's freely available to any so you're, federal you're, agency. So we're really giving FBI, uh, Department of Homeland Security, for example, a lot of yeah. um, insight so they wouldn't have to subpoena, for example, records from the IRS, so they wouldn't right. have to go through some right. proceedings. So there'd be no barrier to like getting a tax return because that's information has to be reported. And you know, law enforcement purpose would also be the IRS. So the IRS would have access to it. But to your point, maybe the IRS already does. So maybe that doesn't matter so much. So, you know, what does this do from a privacy standpoint? You know, we could get into some libertarian arguments about that and 
you know, how you feel about the government's intrusion and all that. But mm-hmm. that really isn't where I'm going with this. What I thought was important is that clients, our clients and people in our business need to understand that there is this now reporting requirement and any new business formed after the first of, mm-hmm. of the year, meaning 2024, is going to have to, within 30 days, file a report with FinCEN. Yeah. And if you look on their website as we speak today, it says that they haven't figured out what they're going to do and they're getting this digital reporting thing together and uh, don't worry about it, but on the first of the year, we'll be ready. I heard they're also Good luck. <laughs> contemplating putting out some YouTube videos to get folks to understand it. But what's really interesting on, on my first look at this is that they there's a lot of very onerous administrative penalties, punitive, in oh, fact, no. relative to doing it. So I, that's, wish it, I wish it was just administrative. Yeah. So if you don't do this, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about in a minute who could be fined for this, $500 a day sure. for every day you're not in compliance, sure, plus $10,000. Mm-hmm. So automatic ten thousand, plus five hundred dollars a day, plus up to two years in federal prison. And that's, that's this more is about. not a administrative slap on a wrist. This is highly criminal. This could be a life altering mistake. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, it seems like there's been a progression in. For example, partnership tax returns uh, recently they promulgated for late filings on a per partner basis. The IRS is assessing fees and penalties. I recently got a notice for a client for a partnership return that had six partners. Um, uh, penalties assessed from the main due date fifteen thousand uh, dollars worth of penalties just for late filing fees. So they, that's something that the IRS maybe took that lead and they're promulgating that. But this applies to just more than your IRS filing, it sounds like to me, the reporting requirement from a privacy standpoint, like you said, is interesting. I think the IRS has a lot of that information. It's unfortunate that other uh, governmental agencies will have access to that information. But I really think that the fact that most of our clients or a lot of our clients either vaguely know or don't really understand the compliance uh, burden of this and how urgent and re- and what the repercussions are, right. that's really uh I think a failure of the communication by our federal government. Oh yeah, I mean this is like a, this is a big surprise bomb for people, and and nobody I've talked to so far knows anything about this. So, if it's a new company, mm-hmm. it's immediate. You got thirty days to do it after the first of the year period end of discussion. If you were formed prior to the first of twenty twenty four, yeah, uh, you have till the end of 2024, basically January 1st, 2025, to comply. So they get a year to put the word out. So how do you think the government's best to, to get this word out? You know, my thought is they should create a viral TikTok jingle. Just saying. <laughs> you do that, you add a you add a federal, we call it the FinCEN dance, boom. Everybody's going to know. That's gonna quite know. catchy, Ken. Maybe you should uh, uh, propose that we uh, become a marketing firm to FinCEN. FinCEN? To do that for them, but somehow I doubt that uh, we would... Uh, we would get that contract. <clears throat> but mostly you know, because my dance skills are abysmal. So one of the things I think that you have to really watch out for too in this legislation is they they put out a, a flyer or a, a flyer, I suppose a pamphlet or a guide telling you, you know, what you're supposed to do. It is really difficult to understand. Um, it's extremely onerous. 
uh, it's a lot of it is is factually incorrect in terms of you know what the law says. So, you know, first of all, the first thing you got to figure out: is, oh, am I a reporting company? Well, you know, probably you are, and here's the reason: uh, unless uh, the easiest way to not be a reporting company is if uh, you have twenty or more employees and you reported payroll and you have to have more than $5 million in gross receipts. Uh, and that has to be on your tax return for the previous year. So if you're a new company, you don't have those things. You just don't. So pretty much any new company that you register, even if it's going to be, you know, the next Google is going to have to report. Um, the other companies that are exempt, the, the ones that are less obvious or less important are things like, you know, government agencies, uh, publicly traded companies are exempt, of course, charities, regulated companies like banks and stockbrokers, you know, not people that you and I would deal with. Um, and there's also some exemptions for inactive companies. So any kind of, you know, middle of the road company, small business for yeah. sure yeah. is going to have these requirements. And it... It's not so obvious, you know, like I said, they say corporation, they say LLC, anything like a corporation or LLC. Well, you know, if I'm a sole proprietor, maybe not. You know, maybe if I have a partnership that really hasn't filed anything, probably I'm okay. You're thinking, eh, maybe not. That's true. And here's why. It says that any entity or anything that's created by a filing of a document with the Secretary of State. Got it. Or similar governmental entity. Oh, crap. Or similar governmental entity. Remember all these catch-alls I told you about in this yeah. thing? So let's say, like one of our clients, is a partnership, but they've never formalized themselves as a partnership. So they never filed anything with the Secretary of State. Maybe there are a bunch of tick interests in a property that produces income. You know, but then you have to think about state jurisdictions. Not all states require partnerships to register. LLCs are different. Right. Limited liability. Par general partnerships, even in California, aren't required. But yeah. limited partnerships, then there's a requirement. Well, limited, so right. So, right. So that seems like the answer, right? Well, right. unless, you know, you're one of these official entities that's registered with secretary. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Or similar government agency. Well, what about the county recorder? Is that a similar governmental agency? Well, you could argue that they are because you register certain business interests like DBAs with the county recorder. So if you're, say you're a tick, say you're a tenant in common and you own property with other tenants in common and you rent out the property and you get income from it and you have a tenant in common agreement or maybe you don't even have a tenant in common agreement. Well, you're a partnership by law, right? Because you're more than one person doing business together for a profit. Have you filed with the Secretary of State? No, well, you know, you didn't, so you should be okay. I disagree. I think that's wrong because you recorded your deed with the county recorder, so are you now subject to the FinCEN regulatory requirements? Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But what's the penalty for being wrong? Jail? Yeah, it seems so. Seems, my advice to my client is register. Don't 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 take the chance. But you know, for everyone that's curious out there, I just jumped on the Finson website. There's a wonderful um, BOI, which is uh, which is what you're going to do for beneficial ownership information. Yeah. Um, 
They have a nice. Well, that's the information you have to give out. So they have a wonderful, incredibly text dense 56 page PDF, which is called a small entity guide. So if you know when you have light reading to do, just jump on there. But what's interesting out of that is that they have um, a couple nuances. So when you said similar office under uh, law of a state, and it says or Indian tribe. Yeah, that's another one. Or Indian Whoa. Tribe. And and well, here's a good one too. Go through that at some point because I just I've been through that. Mm -hmm. And you have these little flow charts which I see yeah. you have on your, yeah. on your computer, right? The only the bottom little bubble on all the flow charts is like, and the catch-all provision, and everything we say in here may not be true. It could be more. It could be more if you just look like or smell like or feel like one of these things. So it's pretty ambiguous. Ambiguous law. It's a pretty difficult law to navigate. Um, pretty heavy penalties for for missing out on it. And again, yeah, do I think the government's gonna, you know, knock on every you know gas station door and and start hauling the owners off to jail? No, I don't. But if you don't comply with this law, and you do something to piss Uncle Sam off, these are the leverage points. They're gonna they're gonna hit you over the head with this pretty hard. Yeah. Well, the other thing is maybe a jurisdictional item. We've been talking a lot about U.S. companies, but in, in this report, it talks about companies organized under foreign country law. And yep, yep, if, that if, can if, definitely if, be in there, too. And if sure. it's registered to do business in a U.S., in the U.S., then there's a reporting requirement. So it says right. this 56-page dense Well, you know, I mean, that goes back to that whole thing I told you about. If you file a document with the Secretary of State, which you do to become a domestic, you know, to become a foreign corporation qualified to do business, in a, in, a, in a state, then, yeah. You think be... about the amount of foreign trading partners or foreign domestic import-export companies that exist, especially here in California at one of the largest and, and most busiest ports, being able to import-export their goods here. They have to register to do business, to get licensure, to, to dock here at this port. So all of a sudden, they're falling under U.S. jurisdiction for disclosure for beneficial ownership. But then we talk about the jurisdictional ability for them, for the U.S. to pursue those types of companies. They'd, the only way I would see that it would really be have any teeth, would that be a condition of licensure, like a condition of operation in the U.S.? Like, you know, if, if, if yeah, you're from a non-extradition here, country. Here, here's the problem, though, too. It's like, okay, this is really fun. Yeah. Who is it that has to give the information? I'm sure that most people think, well, it's, you know, the, the business. The owner of the company. The owner of the company wrong hmm. it's the registrant that could be a professional it is definitely a professional so in my company i often um, hand off the responsibility for filing secretary of state or corporation to a paralegal mm -hmm. the paralegal is now by law required to file this report and they have put their information as the registrant right and yeah. also anyone who directed them to do it, which means myself. Yeah. So I have to register my information too. So we could actually be the ones who are subject to penalties. So to your point, foreign company registered to do business in California, uh, they come to us and say, hey, you know, 
taxes, can you register our company as a domestic or as a foreign company and, and get us a qualified do business in California? Sure, I'll do that for you. And by the way, I'm going to need all of your information on your beneficial owners, and I'm going to have to drill down basically to a, uh, to, to a warm body a warm body on every freaking thing, and I have to report that to the government. Hmm. So that's a really different... That's you probably going to put a kibosh on a lot of uh, professional service firms that are willing to become professional registrants. And part of that, though, is anonymity, right? Part of that is you can do a easy Secretary of State search, and as soon as you pull up someone's LLC, you know their name, address, or home address. So that's part of uh, you know giving a little bit of anonymity to, to to people who are owning businesses here in California, at least. I can a registrant, and, and I don't recall this. Can a registrant be a non person oh no no has to be a natural person that was the other thing because i that one of the first things in law says you can't be a, you can't you has to be a warm body and, and it's kind of odd too is it says you can only have two of them which is weird you what can't do you have more than two i don't know what that means huh. so apparently it has to only be like the actual person who does it and then the person responsible for it and you can't list anybody else there's a limit which is sort of odd um so yeah, so let's talk a little bit. I think about what do you have to report? Well, you know, basic company information—that's obvious. You know, name of the company, address, phone number. <clears throat> then you have to report anyone with any control authority. So officers, you know, obviously, um, probably usually, managers of LLCs. There's usually a percentage of control. Is there a percentage that's dictated no, in that? No, not when it comes to control. If you're a person in control, if you're an officer, if you have any office of any importance. Even the lawyer, even the corporate counsel hmm. has to be registered as one of the control group. And then you also have beneficial owners. Well, what's a beneficial owner? Well, anyone owning 20% or more of the company. Well, that seems pretty easy. Well, beneficial owners can be anyone controlling 20% of the company or anyone who has control over appointing a manager or an officer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really get into whether that means you have sole control, like you have 51%, or whether partial control. So let's take an LLC, for example. I don't know of any LLC agreement that says the members can't vote out the manager for cause or vote in a new manager if the manager resigns, right? I mean, sure. it just says that. So if you have voting power, like a member of an LLC, and you have the power to vote in a new manager arguably at least if you read the letter of the law you're sp you have you're a beneficial owner even I mean, if you have a fraction of a percent i mean the granularity of that is this is is very onerous so anyone that's part of an llc would want some level of input on what's going on in the llc yeah. um, even in a limited capacity so you're saying if any capacity they have to make changes to uh, the the management structure leads them to have to be reported. I mean, beneficial ownership is a concept that's been in the, in the IRS paradigm for a while. So in terms of like, for example, husband, wife, if you're in a partnership or an LLC mm -hmm. and the section on the tax return that talks about beneficial ownership, you know, they each would actually put down 100% each because they have the authority to, uh, it's assumed they have the authority over 100% of those shares. Right. And so 
that collapses people that are typically of the same bloodline, for example, um, in a group. They start to combine those percentages. So if you look at that part of the tax return, sometimes it's confusing to non-tax accountants because the numbers don't add up to 100%. You can you see people's names and you add them all up and it's like 400%, but it's because the control level they have based on their ownership and their relations to other folks. Mm -hmm. The IRS does also have uh, very specific statutes on who is related, related party rules. Right. So I wonder how that applies to CTAs. I didn't see anything that it specifically talks to about that, but it's, I think, a curious um, uh, added uh, adage to that to see whether they really get that deep or that granular with it. You know, a lot of what's going to have to get happen here is they're going to have to sort out this whole process through the courts. They're going to have to have all kinds of rulings on it. There's going to have all be kinds of all kinds of opinions because it clearly um, whoever wrote this law and I, not being criticizing anyone in FinCEN, by the way, because they're my friends, and I certainly <laughs> wouldn't want to anger them or upset them. Yeah. But uh, whoever wrote this didn't know a damn thing about how businesses run or how things work, because if they consulted somebody who really understood what was going on here, they would have done it differently. I feel a lot of what was just drawn out of, to your point, IRS regs. And, you know, IRS regs are written to, you know, accomplish a specific, specific task. And it's not the same task as this one where we're trying to drill down to ownership because I don't believe for a second that FinCEN really cares if, you know, somebody's best friend owns one half of 1% sure. of an LLC that owns, you know, a four-unit apartment building. I really doubt they care about that. But the way this is written, we're going to have to put their information into the database. And, you know, fine. There's, maybe there's no harm, no foul on that. What's the but it just, it's just not written well. I don't think the law accomplishes what they think it's going to accomplish. And I expect there's going to be a lot of changes and adjustments to these laws at this, you know, so, as we go down the line here. So given this is in, we'll call it, it's, it's an untested infancy, right, of, of these regulations, what are some of the strategies that, you know, we, we could – we would explore to not necessarily obfuscate, but to provide a level of, of reducing the compliance uh, burden. So, for example, is it you start putting things in trusts? Mm. First question that comes out of a lot of my clients' mouths when I hit them with this one. Well, I'm okay with my trust, right? Yes and no. A trust in no way, shape, or form is registered with the Secretary of State or any similar entity. Got it. So check so, that box. You know, you got your house in the trust. Uh, you got your bank account in the trust. Fine. What if the trust, though, is a beneficial owner of an entity that's required to report? Sure. Well, obviously the trustee, right? Easy peasy, trustee. So I can still hide behind my trust because I can appoint, you know, my dad or my friend or I can appoint, you know, someone else to be the trustee and I can still, you know, have ownership through the trust of a substantial part of a corporation and my name doesn't come up, right? Wrong. Or maybe wrong. Because the if the there's certain characteristics of being a beneficiary or a settlor in a trust that could require the trust to report you as a beneficial owner, require the company to report you as a beneficial owner. And that has to do with uh, whether you have, how much interest you have in the trust, whether you have authority, whether it's revocable or not, 
whether or not you have the authority to require or if there's a requirement that you get distributions from the trust. So if the trust has a provision in it where you have to get a certain amount of income or you have a say in how much income you get or you can ask the trustee to make a distribution. Sure. So if you have any kind of control in that trust, then you could become a beneficial owner and like I say, it gets all, all drilled down. Now what's interesting about that is the rule I just explained to you sure. appears in the pamphlet that you described that's on their website, but it's not in the law. That's very interesting. So it's interesting. Is this, you know, is this a new regulation they're considering? Is it a regulation they're considering? Or did some pencil neck geek who wrote that on oh, again, I mean no offense to Svincent or anyone. We all Vincent, love Svincent. But someone who wrote that pamphlet maybe just made that up. Well then you don't, you so, don't even but, take but into anyway, account, that's John, the, that's their thinking on that. But it. if you think about our client base, you don't you're not even taking into account the types of different types of trust. Let's talk about a blind trust. The blind trust and the beneficiaries, the beneficial owners may change because they don't have any idea of what the assets are contained within the trust because they have no decision or purview to that decision-making power. So what it may be, they have shares in an entity, but then boom, they don't have shares in that entity anymore because a transaction took place and that's out of that trust. So yeah, but see again, the reporting requirement is not on the beneficiary. So if the beneficiary of the trust doesn't want to report and they don't do it, they don't have to. I see. Who is it that has to do it? It's the applicant. Mm -hmm. So it's whoever is the applicant or whoever the control group is in the in the in the entity. Oh, I see. So this here's a here's a here's a noodle for you. Let's say that I own a, a or I'm the manager of an LLC. And I look through my roster and I see Kent Limson, trustee of the XYZ Trust. I'm like, okay, well, I got to report old Kent there because that's what the government says I got to do. Sure. So I call you up and I say, hey, Kent, you know, um, I got to report you to FinCEN. And, uh, you know, do you have, what, what's the what's the trust like, you know, Kent? And, and what are the, what are the, who are the owners and who are the beneficiaries? You say, I'm not telling you. Sure. Kent says, screw you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to jail now? What? <laughs> so we don't know yeah. how that's going to come out. Yeah. And and here's an, here's another one to bake your noodle. What if I'm an attorney? Mm -hmm. I represent an LLC that I registered last year. I have all the information. I have an attorney-client duty of confidentiality to my client that says if I break that confidentiality, I lose my license and my practice and possibly, you know, my financial freedom. Mm -hmm. But the government's telling me, well, you're the applicant because you filed the LLC. You have a duty to disclose all this information about your client. What do I do? Well, I suppose I go to my client and I say, hey, client, uh, government says I got to tell them all about you. And the client says, the hell you are. This sounds, Now what do I do? This, this sounds <laughs> I like. I don't know. Excellent, I really don't know. It sounds like excellent work for another law firm to take on the government. It sounds like a uh, excellent opportunity for uh, uh, something to be brought up to federal court and maybe even the Supreme Court. I think it's gonna end up there on yeah. a lot of these questions. So questions. It is, it's gonna be really interesting for us to see what happens in 2024. Uh, I know for sure that we are telling all our clients yeah. uh, about how to become compliant and then we're going to have, especially for new entities, we're definitely going to gather all this information. Uh, but whether we disclose it or not is still yet to be seen. And in terms of how we do it, but 
I mean, if anyone listening out there has thoughts on this topic or is interested to know more, definitely reach out to us at podcast at taxes com, And once again, man, I, I think this is really, really interesting. And I think that 2024 is going to hold a lot more than higher interest rates. Um, <laughs> That's so, for sure. Again, we thank everyone here uh, for listening to us at this podcast, an attorney and an accountant walk into a bar. If you guys like what, we're, what you're listening to, hit like, subscribe, uh, leave comments for us. We love to hear from all of you and see what else we can, uh, John and I can chat about. All right. Till next time, guys. Thank you.